Howdy yokes and welcome to Bacon and Eggs. I am Ben Carlin. And I'm Ethan Edgehill and I like warm hugs. <laughs> And today, we are opening the gates. Or maybe we're just making 8,000 salads. So get ready for a big summer blowout. And let it go. Because today, we're bringing you Frozen. What? We're talking about Frozen. What a oh, completely and totally unexpected pick from in me. In the middle. Yeah. <laughs> what a crazy thing for Ben Carlin and also in the middle of August. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. But this is, this is classic Ben Carlin for you. Like, I feel like I will have all of my Frozen theories hit me while I'm watching Frozen, like literally like on July 7th. Exactly. Yeah. Because this is, okay. So, and I apologize for suggesting this movie in particular, because I know that not as many people that love it, I know some people don't. So I don't know what I subjected you to by picking Frozen. Um, oh no. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's like, it's the biggest Disney animated movie ever or was for a while. Yes. So yes. I, like there's enough people that like this movie that it's a perfectly acceptable call. We've done movies that people have never heard of before. So fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. That, as a, as a uh, Disney theorist, YouTuber, uh, it's certainly, certainly one of my tops. This is like what I fall asleep watching at night very frequently or what, you know, cleaning the house. I mean, fair. Okay. <laughs> Real quick, I'm gonna run some statistics down on the movie just to give everybody an idea of what we're working with. Frozen was released November 22nd, 2013, which is 2,105 days ago as of right now, which is crazy. Released on $150 million budget, made all that back and some, got uh, $1.276 billion worldwide at the box office, scoring a 90% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, an 85% audience score, and a 74 on Metacritic. Now, Ben, we, we on Bacon and Eggs review things on a binary scale. If it's if it's a zero, people don't need to see it. If it's a one, people do need to see it. Where would you put Frozen? I would put it at a, a clear and solid one. So you like this one. This is a good one. I do. I do like this movie. Um, and the interesting thing about it is that, like, I was so not on board or even Same. Like, tuned into like the the Disney uh, bug at this period of time in my life. So 2013, at best, as far as animated features go, I was like a purist Pixar person. Like that's that's right. what I saw. If it wasn't a Pixar movie, as far as I was concerned, it's like it's not worth seeing. So this is I was <laughs> might not, as well not even exist. Right? Yeah. Like I did not contribute to that box office success at all. I saw. I didn't either. Yeah. I do not think I saw this movie for the first time until 2015. Um, um, and for people who know our YouTube channel, Super Carlin Brothers, they know that like our first big uh, video for us was the Pixar theory. And the number one top question on that was always, where does Frozen fit into the Pixar theory? Of course, it doesn't because it's not a Pixar it movie. It doesn't because it's not a <laughs> Pixar movie. Um, but after being asked that question over and over and over again, uh, finally somebody, I believe, mailed us a Blu-ray copy of the movie uh, so that we would finally watch it. And I think it was quite literally, fittingly, a snow day and I was just locked in my house and saw it for the first time. So. Yeah, I mean, I was like, a, uh, I had just, 2013, I think I had just started my junior year in college at that point. Yeah. So like, okay. I was I was fully not clued in to this movie at all. That, I knew it that, was the biggest thing ever because like everybody was obsessed with it sure but when sure. it came out i was like what is this i didn't really catch on probably until i watched it that spring i think when it came out on dvd and then i had to sing frozen heart 
for men's chorus the following winter no uh, for a big holiday concert. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of awesome. So our whole our whole men's chorus did that opening that opening bit. I love that opening bit. I truly do. Um, I don't I don't know oh, if you yeah, know of my of my obsession with ice. Um, but the I I'm I'm familiar. But for those who might not be familiar, give us a rundown on how you feel about ice. Oh man, I'm I'm passionate. I'm passionate. It's a big deal, honestly. Uh, and when you meet other ice heads, it's fascinating because that's a term I made up just now, by the way. That's not a real thing. Um, <laughs> the other ice heads. Other ice heads. No, this happened to me at VidCon uh, where I ran into one of the guys that works for... Um, film theory and we were like somehow stumbled onto the topic that we both love ice but what it comes down to is getting crystal clear ice for like a cocktail or like a like a bourbon drink uh which is like my go-to drink is so unbelievably difficult to do like it's it's not an easy task and i have spent so much time dedicated to trying to make it happen with no prevail whatsoever you have not succeeded yet well i have i have some methods but i don't have the scalability that i want right now so okay It's really what it comes down to is you're trying to impress people who are at your house because there's nothing who's going to impress a guest sooner than crystal clear ice. Um, So one would hope. Yeah, of course. I mean, can you imagine showing up to somebody's house being served the best ice you've ever seen and not commenting on it? Well, I mean, I could I could definitely see people just not even noticing. Oh, oh, it hurts me. It pains me to think. But it would have to be it would have to be an occasion. It's like I'm going to make you a cocktail and you hand somebody just uh, two fingers of bourbon on a with a giant ice cube in it with a giant ice, ice cube sphere right but it like the clink i mean there's so much to it man it's amazing like you've got this big ice cube rolling around and like a flat bottom glass with bourbon in it it hits the walls it's it's satisfying oh it's a beautiful sound yeah it's the kind of thing that like foley engineers would would go crazy over yes yes but absolutely fair enough crystal clear ice well if if and when you do achieve said uh, miracle of the ice maker's profession, please give us an update. I will. I will. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You'll be the first person over to get a, a tall, a tall glass of ice of ice. <laughs> It's all glass of ice. Enjoy. Um, but yeah, some some definite foreshadowing from that first song too. Uh, I think that I caught for the first time that it's called Frozen Heart, and then she gets a frozen heart. Yeah. Now I, I have, I'm not the, I'm not the Pixar not the Pixar the Frozen expert that you are, Ben. Uh, the, the, a lot of this movie goes over my head. I watched y'all's video about the runes and everything, and I was like, that's probably right. That <laughs> seems logical. <laughs> that seems logical. Yeah, that's getting ready for Frozen 2. Um, but no, I'm right there with you, actually, because uh, so many times I had seen this movie before we really started like tearing into it from like a theory standpoint. But yeah, that opening song has got like quite a few little gems kind of tucked in there that ultimately end up paying out later on. Yeah, it's almost the... like they're good at this or something. It's almost like they thought about it. How about that but that, that's one of the crazy things too is like let it go is such a huge song from this movie and they wrote it in like one day i mean i believe that yeah yeah is it is yeah it- i mean it like there's there's a lot of people when it comes to songwriting there's a lot of people that'll tell you like you got to sit on the lyrics for months you got to kind of sit around with that and there's some people that are like yep get it written get it done four hours in and out let's go come on come on go to the next one yeah we're busy <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, and, and maybe that's like the the bizarro thing about this particular movie too is that like I think even when uh, like Kristen Bell's been interviewed about it and her role in it, and she's really talked a lot about how like she basically just showed up, recorded her lines, and had no idea that it was going to go on to be what it ultimately 
was. Right. Um, so it's, it, it is interesting to think that maybe there's, there's a little bit of lightning in a bottle effect happening with, uh, with some of the stories associated where you hear that like maybe people, not to say they weren't taking it seriously, because of course they're professionals and, and this is what they do. Um, but that so many things ended up working out in such a big, big way when maybe writing Let It Go, you know, was just what you did that day at work, you know, like it, it well, I don't know if it was a remarkable experience or not to know you. I mean, I think that any any songwriter that is like working for Disney and writing songs and hears that, oh, Adina Menzel is going to be performing this song. I think you probably it's not that you necessarily put extra work into it because you would think that you put all of the work into it all the time. But it's like you, you that that you got to think about that. Like it, you, that will weigh on your mind during the writing. Sure. sure, but sure, it's, sure. it's not like they needed a particularly complex song. It just needed to be something to drive the story forward in that like, OK, I'm the ice queen now and I'm cool with that. Cool. I see what you did there. Cool. Like as in temperature. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're so clever. <laughs> totally meant to do that one. <laughs> Got it in one. Got it in one. All right. Um, yes. Yeah, because it's like it, it needs this song to so you realize that she's not the villain here. Sure. Sure. Um, Like it's it's sort of this idea that I, I really think Elsa inside of that moment, what she's going for more than anything else is like she has just decided that she is going to go and live elsewhere. Like she is no longer going to be a part of the kingdom. She's not going to try to be this perfect person. She's just going to live up in her giant ice castle by herself. And that's going to be fine. Right. On top of a mountain that's not not very far away from Arendelle. Although it's weird how she just like casually leaves the kingdom and has a nice jaunt up to the North Mountain. Whereas like... Right. It's like... This is where you can't can't think too much about the musical in this moment because then it's like, well, she just runs up there and is like, I'm gonna start singing now, I guess. (laughs) Seems like the thing to do. Here we go. It's been a mere hour and I've made it miles. Uh, Right. And then (laughs) Anna can't... It takes Anna two days from there like to get up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what what's up with that. Um, but I, I feel like that this movie has that sort of in spades, like where there's a lot of stuff that if you think too much about it, it doesn't quite make sense. Um, there's there's one moment in particular that I always complain about with Hans. Uh, so shortly after, uh, right at the beginning, uh, where Anna's out there and she bumps into Hans and they're having their little like moment on the boat. And, um, you know, he's being this very nice courting young prince. Um, the whole thing sort of goes down and he falls into the water and he like pops up and he like lifts the boat up and like smiles like oh it was so like even though I just fell in the water it was so exciting to meet this this young woman but at that point in time he he the character knows he's a villain he knows he's a villain and she he knows she's a princess right but like the smile that he does when he like lifts the boat up is for no one. So right. it's, it's like, I, in my opinion, it's an unnecessarily misleading moment uh, in this where you don't need that smile for, for you to realize that the character might, might have been taken with Anna. Like it, it's not necessary for it, for that, the effect of her charm, you know, to be understood. Right. Um. So I don't know. It's, it's just one of those really weird things that has always stuck with me about this is this, this one goofy smile, I think is just completely unnecessary. I mean, I think they're just trying to lead you off the trail of him actually being the bad guy all along. Sure, sure. But like, to what end? In this particular moment, I guess, is is what it comes down to. Like, why is he the character smiling? Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't particularly tell you that. Okay. I don't I don't know that. Uh, I, th- there's a lot of things in, you know, we, we praise these Disney animations and Pixar animations for being so meticulous to details. But there, there's definitely a couple moments in, in all these movies where it feels like between the different departments, between animating and scripting and storyboarding and acting, it seems like a couple things sort of go by the wayside and like some keyframes 
get left in, some stuff like that. And it's just weird little things where like it might not have been necessary, but still just kind of ends up in there anyway. Sure, sure. But that's that's um, the thing with animation that I think makes my job in particular so interesting is that you never assume anything was by accident. Um, so like right. e even though as a person who works even in an office that has multiple different people that work on my own videos, um, like I, and, and where I understand that, you know, making a movie like Frozen, there's so many more people that are involved in so many different rooms. And like, it's not like they're all sitting in there constantly checking each other's like work or anything. But as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to animation, if it's in the movie, it was there on purpose and therefore it needs to be put under my scope. So... Well, and I, I tend to agree with that because, like, with animation specifically, it's like somebody had to render that into existence. Exactly. Exactly. It's like if you're if you're dealing with a if you're dealing with a, you know, live action movie like stuff happens, stuff gets moved around on the set, like cups fall over. Stuff happens during takes. And it's always like these goose like, oh, well, he's got a Starbucks cup in one hand and then it's in his left hand in the next scene. Oh. And it's there's all these things like that. But it's like. In animation, like, cups don't just fall over. Exactly, like, exactly. You know, I, I don't know what programs they use to animate, but, like, Adobe Premiere isn't, like, fall, making cups fall over. Exactly, right, right, right. Yeah, like, those those little mistakes that happen between the takes are not nearly as likely to be involved. Like, yeah, any anything that's there uh, is, right. is somehow meant to be, yeah, or somebody intended it. Yeah, so it's like, and that's, yeah. Somebody, for whatever reason, like somebody, if, if there's a cup that fell over, somebody drew a cup or animated a, or, or, or the computer rendered a cup that fell over. Right. It's like it's, it's there on purpose. And a lot of the times, I'm sure it is just like, you know, assets and stuff that they have in the computer bank. It's just like, all right, we need to do... We need background crap in this scene. Like, great. Stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, even even going back to, like, Easter eggs in, in Pixar movies, so much of me has wondered before if Easter eggs were meant to be Easter eggs or if it was kind of easy to use, like, things that you've already built. Um, so, like, you know, the Luxo Ball in Toy Story. Like, they've they've already animated a rig that is the Luxo Ball. So, is, it in, is its inclusion, like, a nod to the early? Or is it like, hey, we need to have a ball in Andy's room. This one works. Well, that's what... What's so great about companies like Pixar is that, like, they're not telling. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to give them credit for the genius that it was to include those throwbacks, and it's like, they'll be like, yes, that is what we meant to do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Whereas, it, and, th and this is this is what I, I prefer about the Disney Pixar fandom, especially over things like the Harry Potter fandom. Like, I love Harry Potter and everything, but I, and, and I love J.K. Rowling. She's an amazing writer, but like, at some level, you got to leave things alone. And if like, if J.K. Rowling was in charge of Pixar, oh, there would sure. be no, there would be no Pixar theories. There would be no Easter eggs. It would be like, she would just go on Twitter and just like rip those things apart and be like yes i absolutely intended for this to be written in there right 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 no absolutely absolutely it's like, well it's not there anymore i guess <laughs> pixar is just like what what luxo ball exactly exactly yeah it wasn't planned it's there although we we have been on the receiving end of commentary from both andrew stanton and jk rowling so andrew stanton from pixar uh and jk rowling from obviously writing the harry potter books you may have heard of her um i don't know yeah it's fascinating i and i wonder too all the time what the people making this content think about what i do for a living where it's like do they think it's fun to see the fan theories or is it annoying i think that there's no way that the people who work at Pixar see somebody delving deeper into their universe and like learning the, the little ins and outs of the movies like that. There's no way they see that as a bad thing. Right. right. Let's hope so. Let's now, hope other so. Studi other studios, I have no idea, but it's like Pixar, you, you, there's a certain element of perceived fun involved in just the whole Pixar existence. Yes. 
Yes, I agree. I agree. Well, because like even though they're predominantly mostly the same movies, I mean, uh, the the animation's similar. It's, it's a lot of the same team that probably works in these things. But it's like the Disney animation movies are are these sort of big juggernaut Goliath like movies, and and Pixar movies are just seen as these like kind of light, airy, fun movies, and they're basically the same movies. Sure, sure. Like there's there's distinguishable differences, and distinguishable styles, but like they definitely get looked at differently. And so it's like you you expect Disney animation to take themselves super serious and be like, well, this is the thing that we do. And Pixar is just like la la luxo balls and fun and toys and stuff. <laughs> Pixar Pixar is all about being remembered. I don't know who it is in their storyboard team, but every single one of their movies in some way, shape or form, the, the main character wants to be remembered. Right. So yeah, I, I think Pixar movies, they just want to make everything as fun as possible and then also punch you right in the organ that causes tears to come right out of your face. Oh my God. It, well, this, is, this freaking movie is the same way. I did not give this movie permission to make me cry nine minutes in. <laughs> Every time I watch this, I forget how freaking sad that Who want, Do You Want to Build a Snowman song is. Oh my gosh, I know, I know. Because it's like, you just think about it, it's this happy, jolly, fun tune. You listen to words, you're like, oh my god, this is horrible. Yes, yes, it gets, oh my gosh, it's, and they go for it. I remember the first time I watched this movie, I was straight up lore. When I see uh, Anna and Elsa's parents going out to sea, and it's like, oh yeah, sure, whatever, and then it's like, oh no, oh no. Like, we're just gonna kill these people. That's it. Got it. Yeah. So that's, that's, I don't know. So it's like, you take the girl's memories away, you take her best friend and her sister away, you take her parents away, and that's your, that's your, that's 10 minutes in. That's your whole exposition. That's where you pick up, you know, 17 year old, however old she is, Anna. Right. Who is remarkably well adjusted, right? Right. Like, I mean, with the exception of maybe thinking that, like, you know, you could get married after meeting somebody for one day, but like, I don't know. I, I, I think that that is probably well. That's just a that's a princess thing, man. Like, that's a that's an arranged like that's just such a a, a kind of not a, not a joke, not a slap in the face, but it's definitely playing on that whole idea of like this is how royal marriages happen. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, like we're we're maybe there's not as much uh, courtship involved and a lot more singing on top of clock tower. Hours, obviously that's I mean that's the trope right you know they finish each other's sandwiches, man. Oh, that line is so good. Yes, but it's, and it's so revealing because that's, that's, the, I remember watching this the first time and that's immediately when I realized that Hans was the bad guy. Really? Yeah. Well, first of all, because he looks exactly like the creepy, scary bust that she's dancing with okay. in, uh, in, um, for the first time in forever. Sure. It's like, he's got the same hair and the same silly sideburns and everything. And, but then when he does the sandwiches thing, he's like, that's what I was going to say. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> It was not what you were going to say. Oh my gosh. So that was your tip off. You knew. That was my tip off. Yeah, I remember the first time I watched this, that was my tip off. Man. And I mean, granted, you know, this is on some level, it's a movie that like, it sort of has to be not obvious, but it has to be the point where like a child can figure it out. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. I, I think the first time I watched it, I was probably not giving the movie enough credit that it was going to surprise me at all. So like... That being said, now I go into the movie theater always and I'm looking for every available clue for anything I can possibly find. Uh, like as the as the first tip off point, like where do they make the mistake? Where are they too heavy handed with it? And I think for me watching Frozen for the first time, I was like, I don't know how they're gonna resolve the fact that she could clearly be with Hans or Krista. I'm like, this they both make a lot of sense for her. They seem to fulfill different things. Um, and I, I actually don't love uh, Hans's reveal scene. Yeah, what, what is it that I, what catches I, you wrong? For me, he just goes from like, oh my god, Anna, I'm so sorry that happened to you, to like, I'm so glad this happened to you, now I don't have to kill you myself. <laughs> he went like, way, it was way too quick there. 
he it's it's pretty dramatic um we we've dissected hans as a character quite a bit uh and there's there is a theory that we have that we've covered and elaborated on um and it sort of suggests that like hans is almost like a sociopath to the tune of he pretty much mirrors the emotional capacity of every character he's in front of throughout the entirety of the movie so right. like and and that's how we've been able to at best explain that situation with like where he tips his head up from underneath the boat and he's grinning like an idiot uh, is because he just met Anna, who's like a super happy-go-lucky person who's so excited to be outside for the first time in forever. Um, but then if he's talking to like the Duke of Weaselton, then he's got like the, you know, the backbone and he's like aggressive right back. And if he's talking to Elsa in her castle, like he is nurturing and like sort of has that like, don't be the monster they think you are. Yeah, like, that was a powerful line. Right. But like he's mirroring her exact emotion in, in that moment too. And so there is in his like reveal, there's this really interesting scene where he like walks in front of the a window and he like pulls back the curtain and he looks at himself. And huh. that's that's one of those moments that we've always really liked where it's like, oh, because he's not mirroring anybody else anymore. Now he is showing himself. Right, now he's just Hans. Yes, yes. Ooh, um, ow, that's that's wild. Isn't that cool? That is very cool. Okay. I, I love it. So in I don't think that that's the type of thing that uh that you're supposed to watch as as like a lay viewer and pick up on, you know, how all of that is is piecing Well, no, together. and that's that's the thing is like I'm usually when I when I first watch a movie, I'm usually not the guy that's looking for, especially if I know it's a movie that's probably going to have like a twist like that. Uh I, I'm not usually the guy that's looking for the twist. I'm not looking for what the 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 because I don't believe that it's a, a mistake in filmmaking. I believe that a good a good film with a twist leaves you with room to figure it out. Sure, sure. Um I have this problem with uh especially some horror movies, but especially some of the M Night Shyamalan movies. It's like there's sort of no way you can figure some of these out. Okay. Yes, and that's like that, uh, what is that term? Jay, Jay always says it around the office, um, like the Doex Machina. Deus Ex Machina, yeah, Ghost in the Machine. Yes, yeah, yeah, So that's, that's sort of like a, a film trope where they just like introduce something that hasn't been there the whole time, that they haven't foreshadowed to, that is like a save the day button or a ruin the day button or whatever the case may be. It's, it's, right, exactly. It, and it, it leaves you the bad taste in your mouth because you're like, this doesn't, it doesn't feel correct. Like it doesn't feel like, because that's, that's where a good movie, and this is a good movie in that sense, it's like, it gives you the bad guy from the beginning. Sure. But doesn't necessarily let you believe he's the bad guy. It's playing... It's playing it sort of out in a way that there isn't really a villain other than the ideas that Anna has or Ed, that Elsa has floating around in her own head. Right. Well, and, and sort of this idea that like Elsa is not um, intentionally trying to harm Arendelle as like a town or a city or anything like that. Like that's her objective isn't to be causing pain or hardship. It's just sort of a byproduct of her right. handling the situation. So even like when Anna goes up there and she's like pleading with her, like Elsa doesn't know that she's caused this like, you know, quote unquote eternal winter that's been going on for like 37 hours so far. Um, right. So even then, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like it's it's more like the the character versus environment more than it is character versus character. Um, but that being said, this is interestingly like a decision that Disney animation in particular has been going with a fair bit here recently. Um, it's, it's sort of like the key twist at the very least to uh, Frozen, Zootopia, and Big Hero 6, where, right. you know, Zootopia's kind of got like the wolf in sheep's clothes with, with Maribel Weather and... Um, um, Big Hero 6 has, um, 
I can't remember his name, but it's like the, the, the main teacher that recruits Hero to come to the school or, you know, he's, right. he's got like a, a vindictive nature about him. Um, and so the whole time though, you keep thinking like, no, it's going to be like this big evil villain and then it's not. Uh, so it's, it's interesting that Disney has consistently gone with this same twist. Like, I, I wonder if that's something that will have started with Frozen and will end cap, uh, somewhere along the way. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Moana does it too. Like we're, yeah, I was going to say you even get that in Moana as well. Yeah. Uh, with Tafiti is also yeah. Teka. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's 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 an interesting move. I think at the point of Frozen, though, the, the key turn, the key villain twist was... It, I mean, it worked on me. Like I said, though, I, that's pre- maybe my circumstances were different. Um, but. Well, and that's the thing is... it. it is he doesn't really have outside of of trying to harm Anna, he doesn't really have a whole lot to do with like the greater problems that are affecting it because like he doesn't he's not the one that's causing Elsa to create this everlasting winter. He didn't really have much to do with it other than like just wanting to marry Anna, which he I, I probably believe thought was just going to be an easy matter of like, well, I'm just going to say this and hopefully she'll say yes. Exactly. Right, right, right. Like he even says like in his monologue that like, you know, nobody was getting anywhere with Elsa, so I had to try with you and it was like, okay, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, his plan is weird. It's kind of different. So, I mean, do you like him as a villain though? Like where, where do you stand with him? I mean, I, I'm sort of indifferent on him as a villain. I think that if I, if I go back and watch again, keeping, bearing in mind what you had said about him being the mirror of everybody he comes across, I, I might, um, look at that differently, but it sort of seems like he's just there to like throw them in that moment of, and obviously, I mean, there's always a plot device in every movie, so I can't be too upset about it. But to me, it seems like he's just there to throw them into that moment of like, they, they have to be sisters and love each other. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, like you need you need the impetus for there to be a reason for plot to happen, and that's that's ultimately what it comes down. Right, to. they have to have a reason to show that true that true moment of love that the trolls are talking about, and everybody and that that's the, where the where the truly great twist I think comes in is everybody's like, oh my god, it's gonna be Kristoff. It's this this whole time like he's clearly been the good the good guy, and then it's not Kristoff. It's it's her and Elsa, and they figure each other out, and that's that's the the powerful twist for me. Right, 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 right. So um, um, so Han, oh, Hans is there as kind of the setup for that moment. Sure, sure. sure. So on on what level or at what point in time do we blame the trolls a little bit for the entire plot of this movie though like well no you gotta blame her freaking dad man it's like oh my daughter has ice powers and she has harmed my other daughter do i go to a doctor to get the ice thing fixed let's go to the trolls let's let's go to the trolls they might have some ideas and the trolls just kind of like the trolls are kind of like let's because and obviously this is just you had to have it like this to set up the entire conflict of the movie but it's like there's definitely a way to parse that problem in which because I I I don't think that the um the like whole if she remembers that Elsa has ice powers it's gonna make things worse that I don't I don't ever feel like that was fleshed out enough no well and and it's not really either because it's not like Elsa uses her powers and then like the effects of the frozen heart start coming into play like that might be the better way to do it instead of having it happen so like in the beginning she gets hit in the head and she's you know I don't know, she's got a frozen brain a brain freeze if you will. Um, and like, I don't know if they're able to cure it, but they're able to like set that aside and have it not it's, be a problem. Yeah, it seems like they basically put like a halt on it to stop it from getting worse. But it seems like they're setting it up so that if she sees that Elsa has ice powers, it'll get worse. Exactly. Yeah. They're like just for good measure, let's take out all the memory of ice powers. And then it's like, but then, but then when she realizes Elsa has ice powers, she doesn't get worse. Right. And that's, that's what I think would have been a bit more compelling. And I'm I'm not sure if that screws with the frozen heart element of it too much or the difference between those two inflictions, or if she could have just frozen her heart to begin with. Um, But yeah, like it, it seems like 
as soon as she starts demonstrating those ice powers, it seems like at that point in time, Anna is supposed to start getting progressively worse. And then like by the end of the movie, it's like reached its head and it's like, it, it can't go any further. Uh, but that's that's not really how it plays out. And realistically, the, the solution that they have is not a solution at all. It's like, oh yeah, like, no, this is a totally manageable thing. All we have to do is have your kids never see each other again and never right. interact and seal with- don't feel. Yeah, and never interact with anybody ever again. Like, I, I can't begin to imagine what is going on inside of this castle for however many, you know, 15 years they're just sort of existing in the halls, right? Uh, yeah, but I mean, that's that's a, that's a, that's the Disney trope right there is the princess locked in the castle. Sure. Just this time you have two princesses. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. And so this, this kind of explores like, and that's what's so interesting about this movie is the parents are gone completely but we explore like what happens between the sisters instead of this because there, there is no like oh well papa says i can't do this so that that goes away so you see what what happens immediately when these two girls are left up to their own sort of devices sure 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 well but i mean they're they're only left to their own devices basically i i believe what has been revealed about these characters is that uh elsa's coronation happens when she's 21 um and anna is 18 I, I, so elsa so Anna was 15 and Elsa was 18 when their parents died. Yes, yes. So even that amount of time, like, it seems like surely they could have made decisions in there. Well, I think that Elsa is just still existing under that conceal don't feel thing. I mean, she's, that's the, that was her last directive from her parents. Right, okay, okay, that's fair, that's fair. That's, you know, that's is, is they, they gave her this whole, like, you've, you know, you gotta take care of things, you're gonna be fine. And, uh, but this is, again, when you start to get into the, the sort of plot devices that don't make sense, because, like, why did she have to touch the scepter with her hand? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Like, couldn't she have just worn gloves? Couldn't she have just worn the gloves? It's like, what is this? What? Since when do people who are royal not allowed to wear gloves? It seems like, if anything, royal people exclusively wear gloves. Right, like, if anybody wears gloves, it's the it's the king. It's the <laughs> queen. It's like... Actually, we should cut to that scene where we see her father... Uh, Putting hold... on gloves! Well, and I, he, we have the shot of him from his coronation day. I wonder if he's wearing gloves in that shot, because that would be amazing. Amazing if he was. Oh my god. Hang on. I'm it, it's, it's just one of those, that's one of those things. Is like you can't, you can't think about it too much, but even this, you know, I was watching my girlfriend and she pointed out, she's like, why does she have to touch it with her hand? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. Because granted, I mean, that wasn't the thing that set it off, but it definitely put her in this, you know, frazzled, frantic state. Right, well, and it's strange. Okay, for what it's worth, the father is also not wearing gloves on his coronation day. Just, I mean, fair. Yeah, fair. But like, uh, but it's Scandinavia. They have winter. Sure, sure. And I, I don't even know. Okay, so what what is going on here with the gloves? I mean, are they just the most effective security blanket ever? Like to the point where it's like as long as I have my gloves, like I can I can hold my powers in, but the second they're gone, or are they like their own magical like force? I, I think it's probably the former, the the just the security blanket thing, as well as it stops her from like I think accidentally freezing things when she touches them. Sure, sure, okay, okay, fair enough. Because like if she doesn't, because it seems like she can just sort of freeze things from skin contact, right? And sort of that's probably the easiest way for her powers to kind of slip out. So they just just gotta slip out, right? It's like no, you, you know, probably not gonna notice, but it's like you, you know, you. I could just imagine her like accidentally freezing a fruit one time and just being like, "What? Dang it, my fruit!" <laughs> and so yeah, I guess the gloves are a security measure, but they're also, you know, they were they were the they were the security measure put there by her dad. Okay, okay, all right. Well, and well, to me, that's sort of the only thing that like matters about them is that like that makes her feel comfortable. It makes her feel like she can't do harm. 
Right, right. So we'll we'll accept that at face value, right? That's that's just what it means. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sure. I guess. I don't know. You're the theorist here, man. I'm just the guy that that pokes holes in movies and 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 talks about how cool they are. Sure. Well, I mean, all theories really are. So I love plot holes because plot holes allow for theories. Right. Because it's like when it comes down to it, that's that is the explanation. Is that like no, they didn't mess up. This is just how we explain it. <laughs> they are magic gloves. That's that's probably the direction we would ultimately end up going. I mean, I I think that there's there's sort of with any plot hole like that, there's sort of always two options. There's the especially, and this is especially where you get into live action movies. It's like uh the, the the general plot hole. There's plot hole number one, which it was a mistake, and then there's plot hole number two that is just like, well, there's probably a reason. Right. Right. Exactly. That's that's what that's what I choose. And again, that's the thing is like you guys have primarily done this with the animated movies because everything does feel so much more deliberate. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So um, anyway, moving on, though, is it, what else, what else would you like to cover here? We, I mean, I'm, there's we haven't really gone in chronological order even at all. I don't know how you guys normally no. do the show. Well, we just we, we sort of start the conversation and go where it goes and ebb when it ebbs and flow when it flows. That rhymed. I did not mean for that to rhyme. Way but to do it, man. Sure. I'm impressed. Sure. I, I've got musicals on the brain. I think this might. No, not the first. This is the third musical we've covered. Okay, okay. Behind Aladdin and Lion King. Yeah, I I like this movie as a musical. Um, I I think it is a good use of song for furthering plot development, which I guess is exactly the fundamental definition of a musical. Um, oh, for sure. But I, I think it does a really good job. I this is one of those movies, especially with the music, where I like all of the songs basically on my first list, uh, which is a fairly unusual thing for me. Like typically, I kind of need to like know it so that like I'm right. sort of like you know jiving along with the beat um, unfortunately I would say with the one exception is possibly in summer Josh Gad's song same yeah yeah um, which is hilarious I mean it's you know the winter is a good time to stay in and cuddle but put me in summer and I'll be a happy snowman there's a lot of great sort of one-liners in that song that is just avoiding the fact that he melts. Yes, yes. Because it's just like, and I'll be doing whatever snow does in summer. Yes. I, I love I love the fact that, that someone thought to think to have Olaf love love the hot weather. Warmth. Yeah, in, yeah. in any Love capacity. the idea of warmth. The idea of warmth. And even if, even if it was only to set up Kristoff saying, I'm going to tell him. Yes. Oh my gosh. One of my favorite moments. One of my favorite moments. Because <laughs> they're just both sitting there listening to this snowman sing this song about how great summer is. And they're both sitting there like, oh, buddy. <laughs> so, so, someone's got to tell him. So, someone's got to tell him. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I, I love Olaf as a character. Um, that, okay, so I will say what I thought was interesting on first pass of this movie is how late Olaf is introduced. Um, because I don't think it's until like 45 minutes into the movie that you actually see him for the first time. And of course, yeah. all of the merchandise for this movie is is Olaf. I mean, he's well, I mean, that's And this is, again, the, the question I'm about to ask you has two answers. It has the answer that makes sense in the plot and the real answer. What is Olaf's purpose in this movie, Ben? Like, you've done a lot of research into this, I'm sure. Why, why is he there? Oh my gosh, I 100% I think he's comic relief. Like, okay. Like, I, I think that that is, that is the function of this character. Um, no, is, but like, within, within the story, like, not, uh, taking taking movie conventions out of it. Hmm, I don't know if I have an answer to that. What, what, what are your thoughts i i that, that's the thing is i don't know is like why 
what is there a purpose that, that I'm missing that he serves? Is like, it, is it important for Anna or Elsa to have this anthropomorphized snowman hanging around? Okay, so I mean that's an interesting thought because I think one of the big things is it's the um, first bit of connective tissue to Anna having like faint memories of her and Elsa playing as children, right? Um, because it is one of those things that Elsa like she makes him in that opening scene where they're in the ballroom like just sliding around and that's that's where like Olaf pops up it's like hi I'm Olaf knock warm hugs um so like the personality for Olaf I think is supposed to have this injection of the sisterhood kind of like from the beginning like it's supposed to have that like childish logic uh that's so innocent and, and I think that that's that's really supposed to be where he's coming from for sure um, for sure and then you have what is likely the real answer and I don't want to be cynical here but you have what is likely the real answer is that somebody put a snowman on a storyboard and some executive was like, leave the snowman, we can sell a lot of snowman toys. We can sell the snowman toys. It's we can definitely, and they did, sell the snowman toys. Absolutely, absolutely. But that's, oh man, I, you know, this is one of those things that I feel like Disney catches flack for all the time is their like merch grab. And on the well, one- Well, they, they catch flack for it because they're good at it. They, they catch flack for it because they're good at it. Um, and, and like, I get it. So like Hasbro, sends uh, us like boxes of stuff, especially for Marvel movies, like where it's promotional things where they're hoping that if they send us some stuff, we'll post Instagram stories or whatever and be like, hey, look at this really cool thing. Um, but they make some weird calls with it where like, you know, they'll have the Spidey Copter and it's like, that's not a thing. Like, <laughs> this like, is what Lego does, man. Yeah, it's like, who, it's, why the Spidey It's 100% what Lego does. Oh my God. Because you get the, because it's not this way with Star Wars, because Star Wars has enough, like, Lego exists in the realm of, like, vehicles and play sets. Yes. And, like, Star Wars has enough of those, like, set pieces and vehicles that you can make convincing Lego sets. But then they go, like, we're going to make Lego Avengers. And you're like, okay, we built a Quinjet. And what finishes that? that sentence <laughs> like so, what what else the hulk mobile obviously <laughs> so yeah it's like you've got these these sets from pieces of the movie that didn't exist and like vehicles that aren't there and it's the same it's like you've got the spider copter oh yeah yeah no it's it's such a thing and, and i don't know who buys that like to me in my mind it's the, the unfortunate thing, or, or I guess my only frustration with the merchandising of these movies is that I believe if you have a child or a family member or like a friend of the family or whatever who, and you know that they like Spider-Man and you have no understanding of Spider-Man and it's their birthday and you go to the store and you're like, I need to buy him a Spider-Man something. Oh, the Spider-Copter seems cool. Like it, I think my frustration with it is that the Spider-Copter is never, ever, 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 ever targeted at the person who who ultimately has it as a toy? It is targeted right. at the person buying the toy. Um, and I don't know. I guess I guess that's where where my key frustration comes from. But otherwise, if they want to include Olaf simply to be comic relief and to sell snowman oh, that, that, that's, flushes, that's a thousand a thousand percent why he's in there. Yes, yeah. Because they could have gotten they could have gotten comic relief from somewhere else. They get plenty of it from uh, from Sven the reindeer. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you could have gotten more of it from Kristoff, but that that snowman, I guarantee you, because uh, generally they storyboard in order from what I've heard for a lot of these movies, and that's sort of how these things come across. I, I guarantee you that's that one of those first storyboards in that first scene had a freaking snow, uh, adorable little snowman 
snowman in it, and they were like, leave the snowman. (laughs) Write him a song. Who's hot on Broadway right now? Josh Gad. Okay, sure. We already got the only other one, white dude. Oh, gosh. Gotta get Josh Gad. Gotta get Josh. Gotta get Josh Gad from the Book of Mormon to be in a Disney movie. I, well, I think he puts on an awesome performance, honestly. I, I like Olaf. He does. I mean, he's just, he's just yeah, he's a, he's a great character. Um, but it's like, even the first time I saw it, I was like, why? Because that was the thing I knew about it. Okay, so when I when I had never seen Frozen, right? And I made it through a whole holiday season without seeing Frozen. And then it came out in the spring. And I think I watched it in the, yeah, in the spring of 2014. All I had seen about Frozen was this freaking snowman. Right. That's what It's I'm like, I know about yeah. Anna and Elsa. It's Adina Menzel, Chris Bell. Love Chris Bell. Dax Shepard Hurt. They got a great thing going on, you know? Uh, I, I knew Josh Gad because of the Book of Mormon, and it was like, Josh Gad's playing a snowman? Okay. <laughs> With a musical number. Not a right. very and good one. Well, I mean, every, you assume you assume that anybody in a Disney movie is going to have their one song. Sure, except for Kristoff. Well, he gets reindeers rained of better people. Okay, does that count? I mean, it's not as big of a... Okay, so I've been having <laughs> this... I've been having this argument out with our Discord for the past few weeks. Okay. About like, okay, so you 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 go and you make this movie, right? And you're like, we're going to pull four people from Broadway, at least. And, 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 and give them songs and it's like you've got you know you've got josh gad who's like the hot ticket you've got santino fontana who was i don't have any idea who santino fontana was in 2012 or how he ended up as hans but then you're just like well jonathan groff signed up he was in spring awakening like eight years ago he's in glee i guess he's gonna let him sing a song about a reindeer cool We'll we'll give him something. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what the what the decision is there. You honestly, you have a much firmer grasp on where a lot of these actors and actresses came from. Well, it's just because because I so. And I get that I was, again, I was in a unique position of being in college when this came out. Sure. And so it's like I I had, I was in college. I was in, involved in like the music scene in college. And so it's like everybody I knew and talked to on a daily basis by the time Frozen came out at the end of 2013 had seen or heard or listened to or watched a bootleg of the Book of Mormon. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Sure enough. Like everybody I knew. So it's like I, Josh Gad was, was the closest thing to a household name for me as well as I knew, I knew Jonathan Groff from his roles. I didn't watch Glee, uh, but I knew him from his roles on Broadway. And like, obviously Adina Menzel is Adina Menzel. I mean, she's Alphaba in Wicked. She's the closest thing Broadway's had to like a superstar since Patti LuPone in the 70s. It's, yes. you know, she's she's the hot ticket there. And it's like, we've got these we've got these two white dudes. Uh, one of them could play comedic relief. The other guy is, well, he's normally the lead, but we already gave away the lead to a woman. So I guess he can sing a song about reindeers. <laughs> Sure. I, I'm I'm so curious to see what they use him as uh in Frozen 2. Well, so between um between the time that so Josh Gad hasn't really done a whole lot since Frozen came out. Obviously his career was boosted more by Frozen than Jonathan Groff's was. Sure. But like Jonathan Groff got a Tony nomination for Hamilton between when Frozen 1 came out and Frozen 2 came out. Wow. Yeah, so that's a... So, like, he was... uh, Granted, he was... He got a Tony nomination for being the one white dude that did anything in Hamilton. Uh, but that's a different topic. Sure. (laughs) But... Sure. But he's, he's like, much... And he's in Mindhunter. Like, he's a big deal right now. Okay. Um, they just put out the second season of that on Netflix. Great show. Can't, you know, can't 
stress enough to go watch Mindhunter. It's very interesting, uh, and it has ruined Kristoff for me because all I can hear now is Holden Ford from Mindhunter when he speaks. Oh no way! I'm gonna have to watch it. I'm gonna have to watch yeah. it. Yeah. So he's the lead. He's the lead in that show. Okay. Um, okay. I'll check it out. But yeah, so they, they his career has advanced significantly since Frozen. Um, so I think that he, and there's a lot of people that are upset that he did not get a bigger number. So I believe that Frozen Two, you've gotta you gotta give Jonathan Groff a number. I think so. I, I feel like there, there's got to be something there. Um, and, and so that, I mean, that's something we can talk about, though, is just Frozen 2 in general, because that is a movie that I truly just thought was entirely unnecessary. Like, I love Frozen. I really do. Uh, and when I found out they were making a second one, I was like, okay, let's see what they come up with. And there's going to be some great big problem in Arendelle. Like, because now that, you know, Anna and Elsa are like best buds again, it's almost like you can't really make that the key conflict. Right. It's like, yeah, you you, you, they're, they're tight. Everything's good. Anna has her love interest. Obviously, you're going to have to find Elsa a love interest. That's yes. going to happen. Po- yes. I mean, p- probably, possibly. Uh, but and- it's like, yeah, you've got to, you've got to basically develop a second apocalypse. It's like you have to, because everything wrapped up so nicely. It's like, we've got this beautiful, you know, Nordic town where we go ice skating in the summer. It's great. Right. Exactly. Who doesn't love that? So, but everyone's great. The gates are open. Everything's perfect. So they're going to have to leave the gates though. Now they can finally leave the castle. So I I will say though, that the frozen two trailer that came out, the very first one, uh, in my opinion, is the best trailer that's come out this year, Um, which I think is saying something considering it's been stacked against a Star Wars episode, the final one. I would say it's stacked against Endgame. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know what they'll come out with. I have no idea whether or not the movie will actually be good, but I think what they've teased so far looks like yeah. a straight-up Disney princess action movie. Which the I teaser think- the teaser was great. I have not watched any... I don't know if there's another trailer or not. I have not seen anything other than the original teaser for Frozen 2. Okay, okay, yeah. But I, I, so I actively avoid trailers at all costs. Well, I wish I do the opposite of what you do. Right, exactly. Literally, it's my job. So yeah, like the uh, the Star Wars Episode Nine trailer with Dark Gray came out this week, and so I'm like, sorry if I just spoiled anything for you. Um, but yeah. I mean, I, I I'm aware of the things that have happened just because I do have like a Discord server and Twitter. Okay, okay. Uh, I was like, oh goodness gracious! I like started sweating as soon as those words came. Oh out no, of my you're mouth. fine, dude. I like like I said, I'm uh, a I'm not gonna invite any of y'all on the show if I'm not willing to talk about Star Wars. Okay, okay, good like. Deal. I knew what I was getting into when I had Ben Carlin come to talk about a thing. It's like, I know we're going to have to talk about the Frozen 2 trailers that I probably haven't even seen. And like, I haven't, I've seen the first trailer for uh, The Rise of Skywalker just because it was forced at me in a movie theater. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, And I have not seen the one that just came out. I, again, I'll probably, if I go see something and it plays before, then I'll watch it. If it doesn't, then fantastic. Oh man, I I desperately, I I will tell you 100% that the only thing that sucks about talking about uh, movies the way that we do for a living is the fact that you don't get to just be a casual fan of those movies anymore. Um, right. So, like, so much of walking into that movie theater is, like, part of how good we're doing our job is how many things I could have predicted in advance. And right. that's, that's like, fun on one end because it's exciting when you get stuff right, but it's also, like, now if it's not what I predicted, it's somehow disappointing, uh, which is wild. Well, I mean, down. I think that you... Mm, you 
I ooh, that's a big that's a big statement, man. Because I think that truly that is the problem with Star Wars, though, is that the the statement you just made that if it's not what I predicted, it's somehow disappointing. Right, has just become the the mantra for everyone surrounding Star Wars. Okay, but this is a thing right now because I think that there is um, a challenge that writers and creators of like this big time cinema, um, you know, or media are faced with, where there are so many people on the planet that are attempting to crack everything in advance. Like they they want to predict it. And as a result, I think that a lot of people from the writing department are attempting to make stuff that is so original that it's like you couldn't have predicted it. But what, what the sacrifice is with that is the endings of things maybe not being as satisfying as they still should be. It's it's almost like the, uh, the idea of subverting your expectations is not always like the winning card. Like it's still, right. it still has to be good. It still has to be a movie where you're like, heck yes, you know? Um, well, and it's like, you've decided Ben Carlin from what I've heard that you don't like The Last Jedi anymore. Oh my gosh. So I, I mean, I have a, um, I have a very weird relationship with The Last Jedi. So I get more excited about Star Wars episodes than probably any other type of media that I get. Um, and I think walking out of The Last Jedi, I was determined that I loved it. And this has happened to me, this happened to me with Crimes of Grindelwald, which I think speaks to how blinded I could, I can be by this phenomenon because The Crimes of Grindelwald is not a good movie. Oh, I 100% um, experienced that because we had Jonathan on to talk about Crimes of Grindelwald, you know, three days after it came out. Right. And he just gushed about it. Yes, I know. And and I mean, we've we've looked back on it so hard and we're like, what were we thinking? And I think a lot of it is uh, the more, and especially within our world, like our religion is the movie's lore. And so mm -hmm. if the lore gets broken, then you start screwing with our ability to have uh, these constructs that are required for us to be able to do our job well. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Like, so if, if you're going to screw with the rules, then all of a sudden we can't use those rules as the backbone for the way that we write our content. Uh, and so th the Crimes of Grindelwald completely screwed with that. And I think with The Last Jedi, it's like, it's, it's, interesting the way that parts of that movie are parsed together like there are elements of that movie that i do really enjoy and over the past week we've been tearing apart the latest episode 9 trailer for um the rise of skywalker and with that we've been having to refer back to the last jedi for tons of content and it's like the whole casino scene could be deleted like you yeah could, you could just like slice the whole thing and get rid of it um i think that some of ray's interactions with um with luke on octu are really good but Goodness gracious, the fact that he throws that lightsaber over his shoulder, I, I don't know if I'll ever get over it. I mean, I can, I can definitely see where you're coming from on that. Um, uh -huh. So as a, as a theorist, like how often, because I'll be straight, I, you know, I, there's, I don't watch trailers, so I don't watch a lot of y'all's prediction videos. That's okay. Just because like, I don't watch trailers. Like I don't want to know anything. I actively try to minimize my own hype surrounding a movie so that I can enjoy it as much as possible without worrying about what's, you know, what the consequences are to my own ego. Sure, sure, so, sure, sure. Uh, um, so how often are y'all, how often do y'all call something and get it right? Cause like, I know there's, there's been big ones. We, we have had some big ones before. Um, like we predicted that the, uh, Maledictus the, and Crimes of Grindelwald was Nagini. Was Nagini. And um, that was like a huge thing. It's like y'all made a t-shirt about that. Yeah. It was a big, 
big, big thing. Yes, yes. So that was one that we got way, way, way in advance. Right. Um, we got the uh, Flurkin correct from Captain Marvel, which was kind of fun, but that was also a bit more predictable if you're sort of just in the realm of comic books at all. Um, and otherwise, I think you get like a lot of stuff near the mark. Um, I know that a lot of our end game right. theories ended up being like wildly off the wall, but what it really comes down to right. is um, we are here to celebrate these fandoms. Like that's kind of like the, the tagline that we've adopted, if you will. Like, yeah. Our hope with anything that we're doing is that we are, we're creating an environment that will allow people to come together to just have fun talking about it. And right. so, so much of it to me is like the, um, while you're waiting in line at the movie theater to buy your ticket, the conversations that people might be having with the person they're going with, where it's like, oh, I've heard that, you know, Ray might do this or whatever. Um, like I want to be the person who helped influence those conversations and whether or not we're right is entirely, I don't know. It's, it is an aside. Like that's, that's not where the, the joy comes from, I guess. Well, sure, for sure. Sure. But I, I asked that question to sort of pose this point is because I, I, especially surrounding Star Wars, but surrounding a lot of these fandoms at this point, y'all are the, obviously, I mean, you're, you're making tons of thousands of millions of views on videos about these, these movies. And it's like, y'all are clearly the best in the business as far as theories go. And it's, you get a lot of these people that are pulling things because y'all pull y'all pull theories off the wall and you've been crazy outlandishly right like twice by your own admission. But it's like people go into these movies and they're like, well, if if Supreme Leader Snoke doesn't turn out to be Darth Plagueis, I'm going to be mad at this movie. Oh, sure. And I just can't stand that thing. It's like you're you're not a you random movie goer. You're not a screenwriter. You're not like you don't. You don't have the the skills necessarily or the the experience at knowing what makes a good movie. It's like you're not going to be able to just pull the ending out of thin air. Right, right, right. No, absolutely. And and there there shouldn't be such predictability to things. And I think that really a lot of it. So I, I feel like at the core of the question, it's almost like does theorizing about these films end up hurting uh, people's enjoyment of it because they're going in with their own expectations? Well, I, I don't think it's theorizing that hurts. I think it's just just blind speculation. Oh, sure. That, that when presented with your blind speculation being wrong, you get upset. And that that's what I think is because you've seen you've seen this with like the community is turning against Avengers Endgame as we speak. There are people out there more and more every single day actively hating Avengers Endgame. Really? Yeah. I, it, it'll come to you in a minute. It'll 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 knock on your doorstep all of a sudden. Interesting. You know, that there will be people in your community that have decided there's because there's I, I know that we have some of the same people in our communities and there are people in mine that have actively decided they hate Avengers Endgame because Steve didn't get the right ending. Bucky didn't get what he deserved. You know, Natasha should have done this and Clint should have done this. And Tony's Tony was a fully realized hero before he had to do whatever. I'm trying to avoid like actual Endgame spoilers. Sure, sure, sure. I think you did great just now. But it's like, you know, oh, this thing didn't happen to this character. Man, screw the Russo brothers. This is wrong. This is the wrong way to end this movie. The wrong way to end this series. And it's just, it's crazy to watch this fall apart because this movie made $3 billion. Like, I saw it like six times. Everybody saw it multiple times. Everybody loved this movie. It got like a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Universal acclaim. But then all of a sudden it, it comes out on DVD and people go home and they watch it in the comfort of their own home, not in a big theater. And they've had six months to think about it and all of a sudden they hate it. Okay, okay. So, and this is where the blind speculation I think starts to hurt and this is the thing that drives me crazy. No, and I, I think you're right. And, and I don't know what the source of that is. I mean, I, I think 
think that uh, in general, there there's a bit of a phenomenon that can lead to, um, I, it seems like polarization is just a little bit rampant at the moment. Like people either love or hate things in general. Like it, the, that middle ground is getting harder to stand on where like it, it is perfectly okay if Endgame is a seven out of 10 for you, for you to say like, yeah, I like it. But like yeah. so many people either need to have it be a 10 or a one, you know? And yeah. it's, it's like, if it's, it, it's not okay. Like if there's a couple things wrong and they decided or they figured it out on their own or they found a plot hole or something, it's like, oh no, but this doesn't make sense. So I hate it. It's like, okay, well, that's a really big leap from what is otherwise an immensely enjoyable movie. And you found one thing that you didn't like about it. And because you found, it's like, just because you have a good point doesn't mean the movie as a whole sucks. Right. Um, and I think that that's a lot of what I see. Um, and and people sort of well, getting a, up in arms. For me, sort of on the outside, there's a couple different factors that I see playing into this. And the first of those is that, one, nobody wants these, these hugely successful movies to be good anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, because... Because it's because it like um, it goes against the idea of coming together in a weird way. Like it, it's almost like instead of all of us agreeing like, oh, my gosh, unanimously like this was spectacular. It's it's something else entirely. Um, and I, I don't even I don't even know if it's something that I can understand because I, I don't know that, that that's where I go back to with it. Um, I, I think that that's why I have started putting more emphasis on my theater experience. Um, right. In in general, like where I said this before over and over again, but the, the two movies that have come out in the past few years where I was just like glued to the screen, like I couldn't, I nothing broke my suspension of disbelief. I was just into it full on were Infinity War and The Force Awakens. Uh, yeah. Those, those were just two movies where I didn't blink. I didn't, I didn't think about having to get up to go to the bathroom. Like, you know, there was nothing that was going to take me out of the story because I was just so sucked into it. And as a result, it's like, you can point out things that are wrong with both of those movies and it does not matter. Like the fact that Finn should have fought Phasma in that field with the electrical baton instead of just some other random stormtrooper. Like, right. you know, great point. That's super true. Would have made way more sense for it to be Phasma. Doesn't matter. Like when I was sitting in the chair, I loved every second of it. Um, oh, for sure. And so maybe, maybe that's just what, what I would emphasize there is, is to, to tell the people of planet Earth, if you enjoyed it while you were sitting in your seat, savor that moment because that's a right. good moment. Well, it's like the other side of that is that, um, you know, these huge movie studios, the, the, there's a blockbuster that comes out every freaking week at this point. Right. And it's like the, they, the, the mid-budget movie has completely evaporated. Right. Sure. I mean, you, you, literally, when Disney picked up Fox, they destroyed, the first thing they did was destroy Fox 2000, which is like a very strong strong mid-budget movie studio that made like The Fault in Our Stars, uh, you know, all these other, Love, Simon, all these other movies. Sure, sure. That like are, you know, 50 to 70 million dollar movies that make three, four hundred million that people love. Sure. Um, so, so you're sort of saying like there is, there's like a middle ground here between mega super blockbusters and indie films essentially. Well, yeah, it's like you've, you've got movies that are going to make a lot of money and you've got movies that are going to win awards and there's nothing in between anymore. Right, right. Because like, yeah. you know, Avengers Endgame made millions and millions of billions of dollars and it isn't going to win a single Oscar. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, unless it's for like sound engineering or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Right, yeah. No, that, that's always one of those where I feel like the Transformer movies can like sort of like sneak in somehow and it's like technically
technically there is something about them that is remarkable, but it's not the story. Um, right, and it's like the last time a Best Picture winner made over uh, $500 million was Titanic in 1997. Yeah, that's been a beat. That was, and, it, and it, it, it made way more than $500 It made way more than $500 million, so. million, but the rest of them make approximately between one and $200 million, Okay, okay. Uh, for the most part. There's some, there's some like The King's Speech did pretty well, uh, Slumdog Millionaire did pretty well, um, Green Book this year did pretty well, made, you know, three, three, four hundred. Sure. But it's like, for the most part, you don't, you know, the movies that, that make a lot of money don't win anything, and the movies that uh, win stuff don't make a lot of money. Right, right. Yeah, and, um, and, and that's a that's a complicated thing, and that's like, um, it, it does make you wonder if there's just like the sophistication required to adequately enjoy something that is meant to be like an art piece. Um, if if that is just, the mass appeal is just not going to be there by definition. Um, because if it is there, then it, it almost in some way, I don't, I don't know if it can like take away from what it's attempting to do, but it's harder to include uh, like a truly unique perspective and image in a way that like just everybody's going to be on board. Right. Especially in a, you know, big explodey action movie that's two hours and 45 minutes long. Well, and that's the thing too, is like, are we, are we going to get to the point, and this is where people keep talking about like the superhero movie burnout. Like, are we going to get to the point where we as an audience are kind of like, okay, we've seen it. We get it. Like, you know, the, like big explosions are not going to keep bringing us out and buying tickets. Um, but I feel right. like Dwayne Johnson right now is single-handedly proving that that works in spades. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's, you know, he makes three movies movies a year and every single one of them probably has a, a bigger, you know, pyrotechnic budget than 90% of other movies produced. Oh, for sure. For sure. hundred percent. Um, but at the same time, I do think that it's not action movie burnout is the thing. Sure. I don't think, I think that the, the, what you're calling the superhero movie burnout is the superhero burnout is, is a hundred percent. Probably we are about to actively witness that. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I think that Endgame might go down in history as a marker um, that that can speak volumes to that idea. And and of course, I have no idea what's going to happen with with Tom Holland and Sony Spider-Man and that whole debate right now. But um, I personally think that the age of Tom Holland and how much they could have done, like getting to literally watch him grow up over the next you know ten years, there could have been just such remarkable development to be done with that character. And if if that's gone. On, then that's I, I truthfully I don't even want to lend credence to any more of the rumors I don't think the, the the contract breaking up between Sony and Disney doesn't help anybody it doesn't help Disney it doesn't help Sony because they're not gonna make another billion dollar Spider-Man movie right I, and, and Sony's gonna realize pretty soon I, and, and no do I agree with Disney kind of bullying them into agreeing no and I don't know that this is necessarily the case but like if the case is as it's presented to us Sony's about to realize real quick that 50% of a billion dollars is a lot better than 100% of nothing. Right, right, yeah. And and, and um, I'm right there with you. I have no idea where, I, like, I stand on this particular topic. It's not one where we've, I haven't publicly weighed in on it at all, and that's basically my stance, uh, is, like, I tend to assume that the people in charge of these decisions at least somewhat know what they're doing. And I, right. like, it's like, I don't think we've heard the end of it. I think we've heard the part that polarizes we the, everybody. We, like, we heard the first, basically, I, what I guarantee you is Disney was like, we want 50%. Sony was like, no. And the press is like, oh my God. 
Ex- what do you mean no? Exactly. Exactly. And it's like it's contract negotiations, and they're like, "Well, Kevin Feige wasn't present," and I'm like, "He doesn't do contracts. Right. He's a movie producer. Ugh. He's got eleven or whatever movies and TV shows that he just announced." I, like, I, yeah, I don't know when that guy sleeps. I have no idea. Yeah. But I do think that you're about to see not a quality decline in the MCU, but a box office decline in the MCU. I, I can see that happening. Um, I can see that. Happening. Anyway, let's let's get back to Frozen real quick, and then we can wrap up. Sure. Sure. Um. So what is what is important to you? about Frozen what does the movie mean to you where did where does your love from it come from is it just the work that you've done delving into it and love the story or, or tell me about it because you you were talking about it being a movie that you fall asleep to yeah and that's the thing like I don't know what I don't know if I could exactly put my finger on it other than um, I think that this movie had a weird benefit uh, to me of despite it being one of the highest grossing, grossing movies of all time and being this like massive mainstream success I walked into it with basically low expectations. Right. Um, and I think that for me, that has probably amplified my enjoyment of it drastically because there's nothing better than being surprised at how much you like something. Um, for sure. And, and I had no reason to not like it either. Like it wasn't like I was rooting against its success. I was just indifferent to it. Um, but otherwise, I think that this movie has actually been one of those uh, where my enjoyment of it, I was probably more internal and quiet about until I realized that my now fiance, uh, Alice also loved it and I, I think that that was one of these things where like it sort of came up and you know like you're trying to be like I don't know cool <laughs> and like um, it's a Disney princess movie um but Alice basically is Anna in real human form. Right. Um, and so I just think that that resonates with me so much. I mean, she's just such a such a happy character and her outlook yeah. on life. Just, I don't know. I guess it's really close to home for me. So that's phenomenal. I, I don't know if that's the best answer to that that question, but uh, we, we enjoy it together. And anything that, that gets the breakthrough like that ends up having meaning. So excellent. So what's going to happen in Frozen 2, Ben? Oh, goodness gracious. So my favorite theory right now going into it is uh, you, you asked me about the runes a little bit earlier. So the big poster that they released is this great big snowflake uh, but it's not a snowflake. It's, it's got eight points to it and a typical snowflake has like hexagonal. Yes, as Neil deGrasse Tyson reminded us. Yes, yes. Uh, but that's the thing. I, I mean, I think it's incredibly on purpose. I think that it's a, it's a compass. Uh, it's going to have a lot to do with their journey but the, the runes themselves seem to speak to this idea of there being bending powers, which is what we keep calling it just because of Avatar. Um, right. And so we believe that Elsa is going to be this sort of like the last airbender type of character and, and they're going to encounter people who can do all of the other forms and it's going to sort of come down to her to be able to, you know, come about mastery in a short period To of destroy time. the Fire Nation. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, the Fire Nation. Um, so that that is our current thinking. Uh, we do have a video that, that explains it probably much more succinctly than I did just now but um that's that is what i'm hoping for and i think will allow for a really spectacular film um that i think allows these characters to go out and and tell an original story when otherwise i feel like they were pretty well wrapped up so yeah for sure it's like you because again you're gonna have to end the world again exactly right right it's like they keep talking about a moana too and it's like you literally have to develop more gods and like destroy the world a second time exactly at some point in time it becomes an unrealistic version of the world if they're just always like like under mass attack from huge yeah, problems. Yeah, from the great beyond. Right, right. Although the MCU seems to do fine with that model, so. Uh, they make a lot of money. <laughs> they do that. You think, uh, what's, what's your box office prediction for Frozen 2? 
I think it will be um, less than Frozen 1, but more than a billion dollars. Okay, so you don't think it's gonna beat Lion King? I don't, uh, what is Lion King currently at? Like 1.5, maybe northwards of that. Yeah, it's the highest uh, grossing animated film of all time. Okay. How about that? Go Lion King. Yep. Uh, well, I, I would argue was an only okay-ish movie. I mean, I enjoyed it. I don't I don't think it deserves, you know, number one all-time animated movie. But. Sure, 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 sure. Well, I mean, and there's there's your perception of the movie, and then there's also the, uh, the box office success of it. And I think that The Lion King works really well, especially on a global market where it's just like, it, it can appeal to just anybody. I mean, I think The Lion King was uh, about as good as Avatar. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Um, but no, I, I think I think Frozen 2 does, I think it does north of a billion. I don't think it beats the original for though. You know, I think Disney's going to be happy with north of a billion. They're set to make like 12 or 13 billion dollars this year. Yeah, they're not having a bad run, are they? They're not having a bad run because they still have Frozen. They still have a Star Wars movie coming out. And they're launching Disney Plus with like... I was, I was talking about just movie revenue, like just box office revenue. Right, right, right. Disney, right. Disney Plus is going to be a ridiculous drop in the bucket there. Yes, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. Fair enough. Uh, let's go ahead and pull this thing together. Ben, uh, you t- tell us tell us about... Oh, wait. I have to. We have to give this a breakfast food. Oh, a breakfast food. Oh my gosh. Well, I also wh- we have to put it on the big board. Hang on. Uh, okay, okay. I'm for- I'm forgetting everything. So what what kind of breakfast food would Frozen be? Okay. I feel like there is nothing else that it could be than an actual at Disney World Mickey Mouse waffle with just a gigantic scoop of ice cream on top of it. Okay, that works perfectly actually. Got it in one. <laughs> There you go. That is 100% right. Perfect. Okay, on on the big board, um, I'm not going to start from the bottom. Listeners, if you want it, because this is not at the bottom. Listeners, if you want to hear the bottom, you can go listen to some of our uh, episodes that you think w- might be worse than this. I'm going to really start you off here. Uh, ben, is this better than Toy Story? Is Frozen... Is Frozen the movie better than Toy Story? Is Frozen the movie better than Toy Story 1 the movie? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, is it... Is it better than Rocket Man, the Elton John story? I haven't seen it. Ah, sorry, sorry. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna say yes. Is it better than uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman Begins? Oh, yeah. I'll say it's better than that. Is it better than Monsters Incorporated? I think I would give it better than Monsters Inc. And Monsters Inc. is up there for me. Better than Monsters Inc. Okay. Um, is it better than Get Out? I haven't seen Get Out. Oh, you gotta watch Get Out. I, I hear it's amazing. I hear it's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. Um, it, well, it, so is it is it better than for you than Toy Story Four or Two? Two. I would say it's better than Toy Story Four, but not two. But not two. Okay. Okay. I might have to. I might have to get Tyler's input on this one as well, and we'll 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 stick it up there somewhere. But but, but like to, to choose your placement of it. Do you disagree? Yeah, do, do you disagree with me? I, I well, I don't necessarily think it's better than Get Out. Oh, okay. Well, I but don't, you haven't seen that. I haven't seen Get Out. Yet. Um. So I'm kind of I'm kind of parsing the, the the list here together a little bit. I I don't think it's better than Toy Story Four, but I also. I think Toy Story 4 is, is better than Toy Story 2. Okay. And 3. Oh. And 1. Okay, so. see, I hard disagree. I, I Toy Story 4 left me uh, with just, like, a full barrel of emotions. It just, it, it like, I think that it, I, I could go on forever about Toy Story 4. I could have done an episode on Toy Story 4 because I would have had so many thoughts on it. Well. Um we had Seamus Gorman on for that because that's kind of his thing. That is kind of his thing. There's no better guest than Seamus Gorman to talk Toy Story for a 4. Toy Story movie. I, I I will tell you that I did not cry at all in Toy Story four. I cried for about thirty two minutes. Thirty two minutes. Movie. There you go. Yeah, probably yeah, a good a good like third of it. Sure. 
Sure. I the the one thing that I have said about that movie, and we we said in our review as well, is that I think that if they had titled the movie Woody, I would have liked it more. Um, which I know is a weird thing to say. No, I mean I get what you're saying. It's it's Woody's story coming to a conclusion more than it is any mm. other characters. They've all been Woody's story, though. That's the real thing, is they've all been Woody's story. Okay. He's the protagonist. But he is the protagonist, but the accompaniment of all the other characters has been critical to telling their story, in a way. And I don't think that was any different in this movie. I think it's just a different set of characters that you're looking at. Sure, sure. Uh, well, we can agree to disagree. That's no problem. Yeah, that's fine. That's no that's problem fine. at all. Yeah, there, there are worse things to, to disagree over. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, Ben, tell us real quick where we can find you on the internet. Uh, I am at uh, Super Carlin Brothers on YouTube. If you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, it's the same handle and it has an underscore. It is SCB underscore Ben. Uh, so SCB is Super Carlin Brothers, SCB. Uh, yeah, so go and follow me. Come, come hop along. I talk about movies and stuff. And ice. And ice. Yeah, extensively. <laughs> extensively talks about ice. Fair enough. Well, uh, I'm Ethan Edgehill. You can find me uh, on Instagram at Edgehill Photos or on uh, Twitter at Wow Now, but the O's are zeros. You can find the podcast at Bacon and Eggs Pod all over the internet. Our graphics are by Vaishan Brandon from Graphite. Uh, it's Graphite VMB. Graphite.VMB on Instagram. And our music is by Andrew Scott Bell. Andrew Scott Bell on Twitter and Instagram. Um, that's really it. Thank you so much. If you want to join our Discord server that we've talked about several times during this episode, or I've talked about several times during this episode, you go to patreon.com slash bacon and eggs and join for just $3 a month, slightly less than the price of one Lego coffee per year. Hey, look at that. Because the Lego coffee is $37. That's such and a good way a to do year, it. A year on the Discord is $36. I love it. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. Gotta love the Lego movie. Anyway, we'll go ahead and wrap that up there. I've been Ethan Edgehill. He's been Ben Carlin. And until next time, Arrivederci. Bye.